So welcome to church, guys. Uh, those who are here, good to see all of you again. This is my favorite church in Klang. But don't tell my father-in-law that. Yeah. And to all of you who are watching at home, welcome to the service. I trust that God's going to speak to you and bless you. And what a powerful series that you are doing um, on your identity. Today, uh, Pastor Stephen, when he asked me about a month or so ago, he says we have to speak on uh, our identity. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty straightforward topic. But as I was preparing this, I realized, wow. You know, sometimes as pastors, we get so caught up with the complexities of the gospel, with the complexities of the preaching of the word. But when I was preparing for this, I just went back to the fundamentals and the foundation of the gospel. And I was so blessed reading those foundational scriptures again and being reminded of what, you know, what a, how blessed we are. You know, it is all, the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. The heart of God for us is so simple. And the heart of the gospel message is this, what we're going to share about today. This is what people need to know. So it's, you know, like I said, sometimes we complicate the simplicity that is in Christ. And this simplicity is the strength of Christianity. It is the strength. It is the heart of God for mankind. And I'm really, really blessed. Once again, thank you, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Flora, for having me here. It's really a privilege to be here in your midst. Your pastors are champions. Let's give them a round of applause. They did a great job in their team, you know, navigating through these past two years. It was not easy for a lot of churches, but you are here and you deserve a hand. Come on. So I want to start by looking at the scripture in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, this is a portion of scripture which I think all of us will be familiar with. It says in verse 34 onwards, 34 to 40, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher! Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And I want to focus today on uh, two very important words in this statement made by Jesus. These words are often overlooked uh, or passed by when we read this portion of scripture without much thought. Uh, but they are very important to us and for us to understand uh, if we are to walk in obedience to the command from Jesus. But before that, just some context uh, to this uh, portion of scripture. You know, the Pharisees are trying to corner Jesus, trying to trap him into saying something uh, wrong or contradictory to God's laws. Uh, so this expert in religious law, which is our current equivalent to a Sharia lawyer, uh, this expert in religious law asks him, what is the most important commandment in the laws of Moses? And Jesus' Jesus's answer is powerful and deep. He says, these two commands are the greatest. Basically, he's saying, is, if we get these two right, we pretty much won't have to worry about all the other commandments 
of God. Because it says, on these two hang all the laws and the prophets. Uh, it, basically, if you walk in obedience to these two, the others will indirectly be fulfilled in your fulfillment of these two commandments. On these two hang all the other commandments. Basically, love God, love your neighbor. And it sounds easy enough, loving God. We all have a concept and understanding of uh, what that would look like. Uh, but loving your neighbor is a little bit unclear. Uh, so the Pharisee goes on to ask him, Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus shares uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'm sure all of you know. And he ends it with a question back to the guy who questioned him. The guy's question is, who was my neighbor? Jesus questioned back to the guy, but who was being a neighbor? Uh, the question from the Pharisee focused on the other guy, who, who is worthy of this love of mine? Uh, who should, how should I recognize these kind of people you know, who are worthy, worthy of this? But Jesus takes the question back to the one asking the question. Being a neighbor isn't about who that person is, it is about who you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyway, the two very important words that I wanna speak about today are the words in the scripture, as yourself. Everybody say, as yourself. Uh, Jesus' statement is loaded when you think about it. Because what it is also revealing is, when he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, what he's saying is, how you love yourself is going to affect how you love others. How you view yourself will have an impact on how you view others. So your, your, your self-image and your identity, your perception of your identity will affect how you view other people in your life, in your world, in your families, those that are around you. And that's why we often hear quotes like, you know, hurting people hurt people. Uh, because we view the world through our flaws, through our brokenness, and, you know, and when your glasses are cracked, everyone around you looks like they have cracks on them. So, in fact, someone once said it like this, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. So if you tell a person who, is a, who has a wrong, uh, a bad self-image, uh, a wrong perception of himself or herself, you say you need to love others as you love yourself, that's going to be difficult. Because what they feel about themselves, the standards they impose on themselves will quickly become the standards that they start to impose on other people. When a person doesn't think they deserve love or forgiveness, uh, that person is going to struggle giving love and forgiveness to other people. That's the reality. Uh, a person who doesn't walk in grace for their lives will not be gracious to other people. A person that struggles with self-condemnation will be quick in condemning other people. So the foundation of this second most important commandment, love your neighbors as you love yourself, is a healthy right self-image is knowing and understanding your identity as defined by God. Because if you don't see yourself correctly, you won't love yourself correctly, and that indirectly based on the scripture is going to start to affect other people in your world. Can I get an amen? So of course this is not talking about uh, an unhealthy, egoistical kind of self-love when you look in the mirror every day and say, oh, I love you. You are so good looking. You are so beautiful, I love your hair, everything about you. No, 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 that is, uh, that's unhealthy. 
The foundation of this love is seeing yourself through God's eyes, is knowing your identity as defined by your creator, seeing yourself right. If you see yourself right, you will see everyone else right. You can only appreciate the worth of other people once you have a healthy appreciation of your own word as defined by God. You know, we read in the book of John and we find that John, I think close to five times, he is described as the disciple that Jesus loves. And, and it's, it, it, they will describe it like, you know, Peter. There was Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. And five times, about five times it goes on. Uh, and when, when you read about it, you, you, when you read that, you can think that, hey, Jesus loved some of them more than he loved others. He had certain acts, you know, certain, uh, certain favorites. And with that kind of a mindset, even when our relationship with God, we feel we need to constantly compete to become God's favorite. And uh, this whole thing about John being described as the disciple that Jesus loved is all very impressive until you realize that it was John who wrote the book of John. So it wasn't Jesus describing him as the disciple that I loved. It was John describing himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It's like me later updating my Insta story and saying, I went to the church and this is a photo of Pastor Stephen, Pastor Flora, and the pastor that Jesus loves. And that's me standing with him. People think there's something wrong with this guy, right? And when you read that, when you understand that, you think, you know, this John, uh, I think he's very prasan, very pompous and arrogant to think of himself like that constantly, to describe himself that way. But the reality is, I don't think it was coming from a place of arrogance. In fact, I heard a pastor once say this. He says, the reason John referred to himself that way was because John saw himself through Jesus' eyes. He had a revelation of Jesus' love for him. His value and perspective of himself was rooted in who he was in God's eyes. And from that revelation, he could constantly refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. In fact, all the other disciples had a right to that title, had a right to that claim, but John wore it on his sleeve. Uh, so this pastor says John had a revelation of Jesus' love for him. So John boasted in God's love, in Jesus' love for him. And Peter boasted in his love for Jesus. Peter said, you know, even if all these people betray you, I won't betray you. My love is that strong. My love for God is that good, that unconditional. But you know what happens? Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. John is the one closest to Jesus even through his crucifixion. So don't judge your relationship with God based on your love and your commitment to God. Because you know what? We fall short. We will fail. We will have bad days. And if we judge our relationship with God based on our love, we are going to end up living in condemnation and self-judgment. Judge your relationship with God based on His love for you. Because His love for you never fails. Because His love for you is unconditional. Because God doesn't have a bad day. God doesn't have an off day. God doesn't have a day where He stops seeing you as the apple of His eye. God doesn't have a day where He's kind of like, hey, I just don't feel like blessing this, uh, this child of mine today. His love for us is unconditional. And as long as I focus my life based uh, on His love for me, I will walk with a healthy self-image. Amen? 
Only God has the right view of you. He created you. And only He can reveal to you your true identity, your true value, and your true worth. If you look to the world, if you look to your friends, to your spouse, to popular culture to define you, you'll have a distorted view of yourself. And you'll find yourself constantly unhappy. I'm not good enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not fair enough, I'm not tan enough, I'm not cool enough, I'm not smart enough, because you're constantly imposing things upon yourself based on what popular culture says to you is right. Based on what popular culture, how popular culture defines your identity. Then you will end up seeing yourself wrongly, judging yourself wrongly, but you will also start seeing others wrongly and judging others by these standards as well. It will affect you and it will affect people in your world. You know, some Christians, you want to tell them, listen, don't love me like how you love yourself. I don't think I'll be able to handle it. Thank you, but no thank you. You need to have the right perspective of, your, of yourself because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that is the foundation of our faith, who God says we are. Because we live in a world that is constantly trying to push us into a mold and there's such an attack on identity, especially the identity of the Christian. And many Christians, many young people, many old people as well are trying to, to please or trying to fulfill or trying to fit into that mold that uh, popular culture is imposing on them and they lose sight of their destiny and who God created them to be. That is why as Christians, we need to be so secure in our identity. Amen? So I'm going to just share with you three points about your identity and all of these points are from your creator's manual. It is not from my opinion or the opinion of what's popular, your creator's manual which is the word of God and the reason why I refer to the creator's manual is because he created you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your potential. We cannot look to any other manual to get a right assessment of ourselves. You know, one of the reasons that I don't like shopping at Ikea is because Ikea, when you go in there, they show you a picture of something. They sell you a vision of how your house can be, of how that furniture can look like in your house. And you get all excited, and then you take it home. It comes in a box, and you go home and you open that box. It looks nothing like the vision. And then they, with that, they sell you a book. I mean, they give you a book, and you must look at that book, at that manual, and start assembling. And I hate doing that. <laughs> Amen. I hate doing that. It just takes too much time, too much effort. And it's not just IKEA. There's, a, there's another place called Home Pro. How many of you have heard of Home Pro? That's just as bad. I, I went to Home Pro, I saw, wow, this table is going to look really nice. It had a glass section, it had a section of drawers, and a part of it was wood, and then you, it can turn, it had a certain thing that you can turn the table around, you can make it L-shaped, so I said, this is going to look great in my room. Then I, I said, I want this, and they gave me this flat box. I said, okay, took it home. I opened it, and it was just filled with pieces of wood. And I'm like, I might as well have just made the table myself, right? And it took me five hours to put this table together because there was just so much of little, little things. And even after putting it together, 
First, I tried to do it just based on the picture, and you know, I didn't want to look through the manual, and I did it wrong several times. So I had to remove some parts, go back to the manual, okay, like, humble myself, go back to the manual, and then go back one by one. But even after doing all that, there was still, I had a few extra screws and extra pieces. So the table was there. It looked like the table, but it had a few screws missing. And, you know, many times, we'll, if we don't look to God's manual and we look to just a picture that we have in our mind or a picture that the world gives us of who we should be, what our, our, our life should be like, yeah, we can end up looking like we're okay, but how many of you have met a lot, you know, you've met people with a few screws missing? <laughs> they look alright, but after you spend some time with them, you say, mm, something is not right about this. Amen? Okay, I digress. <laughs> so, three things from the user's manual. First thing is, you are valued. You, know, you need to know that you are of immense value to God. There is value upon your life. You are precious to God. When you go to, the, to Matthew chapter 13, you will see a series of parables that Jesus shares. Uh, there's the parable of the farmer scattering the seed and the main character in this parable is the farmer. And then there's the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the, again the main character in this parable is the man who, who plants the seed for the wheat. Uh, the farmer. Then there's the parable of the yeast and the main character there is the woman who places the yeast in the bread, in the flour. And then there's the parable of the hidden treasure uh, and, and then it goes on to the pearl of great price and in both of these parables, the main character is the man, and then the pearl of great price is the merchant. So I'm just going to share a little bit about that parable, the parable of the hidden treasure, uh, Matthew 13 verse 44, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then Jesus shares in verse 45 about the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, I've heard it preach uh, uh, many times uh, where the scripture, where they say the scripture is actually saying that, you know, we are the farmer, we are the, the, that man, and we are the merchant. Uh, and, and God is that pearl of great price and we need to give our all so that we can have God. When we find God, we sacrifice everything uh, for our relationship with Him. I mean, that's an interesting concept, but that is not the reality of what the scripture is saying. Because in all these parables, there is a pattern. When you study the pattern, you realize that the, that the man, the farmer, the man in the first parable, the farmer in the second parable, the woman who puts in the, ye the yeast, and after that, there's one about the fisherman. All of this, the main character in these parables is God. And if we follow the pattern, the man, the merchant in this parable, of the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure should also refer to God. That means that treasure in the field, that pearl of great price is God talking about you. You are that treasure in the field. You are that pearl of great price that God gave his all so that he could have you. How many of you know God sacrificed so much so that you, He could have you come into a relationship with Him so that He can one day have you live with Him in eternity? He paid the great price. You know, many times 
we, we, we know, we know that the father loved Jesus. You all know that God the father loved his son, right? So on a scale, okay, this is a question, on a scale of 1 to 100, uh, 100 being 100% as in the highest, how much do you think God the Father loved Jesus? Not, not a trick question, don't worry, just answer. 100%, right? 100%. Now, if I ask you on a scale of 1 to 100, how much does God love you? So a lot of people struggle with that bit because we can accept the fact that the Father loved Jesus 100%. But when it comes to God loving us, we always have that little doubt. Maybe 50%, maybe 80%. But, the, the, but here's what Jesus says about how much the Father loves you. He says in John 17 verse 22, this is his prayer to the Father. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Another translation says it like this, that you sent me and you love them in the same way that you love me. Jesus is praying, Father, let, our, let your people, our disciples have a revelation that you love them as much in the same way you love me, that you love them. They need to understand that you love them that much. And it's like this. Let's say this chair, right? It's an antique. It's an antique chair. And uh, someone does some research and says, hey, this chair was made in Joseph's carpenter shop. Jesus' father made this chair, so now it's an antique. So the chair, in its substance, you know this, because that time it didn't have plastic, lah, so in its substance itself, let's just say the wood and all that, probably worth about $100. $100. But now, I take it for an auction. Because someone sees value in it, even though this chair in its substance is worth $100, because someone sees value in it, the auction goes on, and now this chair is finally sold for $3 million. So what is the new value of this chair? Come on. $3 million. So the price paid becomes the new value for the chair. And now I want to ask you this question, what was the price paid by God the Father so that He can have you? Jesus Christ, His Son. The price paid is your current value in the eyes of God. And that is why Jesus said, I pray, Father, that they will know that you love them as much as you love me. So if you can believe that God the Father loves Jesus 100%, you need to know in that same way God loves you 100%. If not, He wouldn't have paid that price so that He could have you, so that He could possess you, so that you can come into relationship with Him. You are that valuable to God. Amen? Let's give Jesus a clap offering. Come on. You see, the devil's mission is to devalue you. 
He wants to define you by your sins. He wants to define you by your weaknesses, by your, by your failures. In fact, sometimes he sends people into your life, into your world to devalue you. They say things about you. Uh, they make you feel small. Uh, they remind you of your failures. Uh, they tell you how worthless you are. Every time you hear that, you need to recognize that is not God. There is a spirit at work behind that trying to get me to the place where I stop seeing myself the way God God sees me and you've got to decide I've got no control over some circumstances that I've been through in the past I've got no control over what has come out of the mouths of people who is coming out of the mouths of people but what I do have control over is what I allow in my heart and what I'm going to allow in my heart is not the lies of the world it's not the lies of the enemy it is the truth of God's word and based on God's word I am chosen I am fearfully and wonderfully made I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I am precious in his eyes Amen You need to start seeing yourself The way God sees you We've all made mistakes uh, And we will continue to make mistakes in life But our mistakes don't define us It doesn't remove or take away your value In the eyes of God Let, let me do this illustration you know, I'm sure some of you have seen this before but I think it's a great illustration. What is the value of this piece of paper? Okay, for the visually challenged, it's 50 ringgit. What is the value of this piece of paper now? What is the value of this piece of paper now? <laughs> 15 again with a little bit of Omicron. <laughs> what is the value of this piece of paper now? 15 again. You see, to a person who doesn't understand or see value, this note is something that should be discarded, that should be thrown away. But a person who understands and knows true value knows that regardless of what this note has been through, its value hasn't diminished. And like I said, the devil will focus on the, on the dirt on your life, on the Omicron virus on your life on the wounds, on how messed up your life is, on your struggles, on your imperfection. But God knows your true value. That is why it says, while we were yet sinners, while we were in this state, He gave His Son so that He could have us. While we were yet sinners, He didn't buy you or He didn't give His Son or redeem your life because you were so good, because you were so good looking, because you were so well behaved. It says, while we were yet sinners, while you were at your worst, He paid the price so that He could have you because He saw your true value and He knew your value is not defined by what you've gone through, what the world has put you through, your family background, what others have said about you, your, your mistakes in life, or whatever you've gone through, your value is based on who He created you to be. He sees you, your true value. So you need to stop listening to the devil and what he is saying about your life. Stop devaluing something that God has placed tremendous 
value on. Thank you, Jesus. You need to say every day, thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you saw value in my life. The only reason we are here right now is because Jesus saw value in our lives. So going back to my starting scripture, the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What this is saying is, is now that I know my value, I need to know that my neighbor, that person in my world, no matter how messed up they are, what they've been through, how difficult that person is right now, that person is of value to God. And we need to be people as the church who know how to look beyond the dirt, beyond the problems, beyond what we see on the surface and see people through God's eyes. Amen. So the first thing you are value, I'm going to say, I am value. The second point is, you are righteous. You know, as, as human beings, we are all, if there's one thing that all of us have in common is we are all in need of forgiveness. Uh, we know none of us deserve it, uh, but we all need it. We've all made mistakes, we've hurt others, we've grieved people, we've grieved the Holy Spirit. And, and we all know, but for God's grace manifesting itself through Jesus Christ, none of us can receive forgiveness. And we know as followers of Jesus, we are not forgiven because of how good we are. We are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us through his death through his suffering, death, and resurrection. Amen? So it says in 2 Corinthians, this is what your user manual, I mean the maker's manual says about you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So right now, you are righteous. Everyone say, I am righteous. Now, don't stop. Some people, it's, it's hard for those words to leave your mouth, but it has nothing to do with what you think of yourself. It has all to do with what Jesus Christ has done for you. He has made you the righteousness of God. So you are now the righteousness of God, even as you sit here, even as you're watching from home. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So righteousness for us as believers is not a standard to attain. It is an identity to live out. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by one offering... He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I love this portion of scripture. One offering, that one offering was who? Jesus Christ. He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Or another translation says, He perfected forever those who are being perfected. So He perfected forever, done, right? Past tense. You are perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified, so perfected forever is done what God has done. Being sanctified is what God is doing in your life. One talks about your position, one talks about your condition. So the, the problem happens is, it happens when many times we judge ourselves or we go through life focused on our condition not our position. 
But you need to understand that what gets you, the reason you can go before God, the Bible says we can boldly come before the throne of grace and mercy. The reason you are blessed, the reason you are favored, the reason uh, you God loves you that much and the reason why you walk in His favor and blessing all the days of your life, the reason why you are an heir of eternal life is not because of your condition, it is because of your position. God sees you in your position and your position is perfected forever but we tend to major on our condition your condition is being sanctified listen we are all work in progress God is working in your life there are things you know different people he works in a different way he was working with each and every one of you in a unique way uh, you're in different stages of your life. Some people are, in different, uh, are struggling with, with greater things. Some people are already, you know, much, you know, you've overcome a lot of things. And, but yet you still have struggles. But you are being sanctified. So don't fixate on what God is doing for your relationship with God. Understand what God has already done. I mean, how amazing is that? You know, you are perfected forever. Perfected forever. That is your position before God. That is why He hears your prayers. That is why you are His son or His daughter. In fact, there's this other scripture that says, Colossians chapter 1 verse 22. It says, He has now reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence and you are, this is your current condition your current uh, you are holy and blameless you are not you're going to be holy and blameless you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault how amazing is that it's so hard right but i know me i know what i did struggle with every week i know what i did yesterday and we struggle, but the script, this is not me saying it, this is what the scripture is saying about you. This is what God, the one who created you, is saying about you. You are now, now, right now, holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That is your identity in Christ right now. Amen? How amazing is that? I mean, if you're happy about it, give Jesus a clap offering, come on. But like I said, we struggle. We struggle with that. So our Christian life is up and down, in and out of relationship with God. In today, you know, because we are constantly judging ourselves, condemning ourselves. We are constantly viewing ourselves through our condition, not through our position. And that's why Paul says, he says, but you must, in the next verse, he says, you must continue to believe this truth. Because you know, people struggle with this. He says you need to continue to believe. They believe it for moments. Like today, you all can be, okay, I believe it today. Next week, are you still going to believe this? Tomorrow, are you still going to believe this? Day after tomorrow, when your wife is manifesting at home and you also manifested, are you still going to believe this? So Paul says we must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away from 
this assurance. It is an assurance that we have. We must continue to believe and stand firmly because everything around you is designed to push you away from the truth of God's word. You know, that's how the devil works. It is the same strategy he's using. He's a one-trick pony. And you know, from the Garden of Eden, did God really say? Right? What was he? What was he trying to do? Get the first man and woman to doubt what God said about them. And let me tell you, it is the same strategy he uses today. If you're struggling with your identity, if you're struggling with condemnation, I want to ask you, whose voice have you been listening to? Who has been whispering in your ear? Did God really say that you are worthy? Did God really say that you have been perfected forever? Did God really say that? And we start to believe. We start to doubt what the Word of God has said about you. The Word is our truth. No matter what the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, in your conscience, you need to say, not today, devil. Not today, devil. I am standing firm on who God says I am. Amen? So he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. How many of you here belong to Christ Jesus? Can I see your hands? Amen. That means there is no condemnation for you. Stop condemning yourself. Stop accepting condemnation from other people because you belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. I like this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. It says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself gave us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. What he's saying is, nobody's got a right to accuse you or condemn you. No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he, was, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading or interceding for us. And he goes on, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with that? Goes on to say, no way. I like how the Message Bible says it. The same verse, it says, Who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God, this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, no trouble, no hard times, no hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, not threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture can separate you from God's love for you. No one can bring an accusation against you. If you believe, stand firm. Do not drift away from this truth. This is the foundation of our Christian faith. Everything else is built on this. If we get this right, you will enjoy your journey with God. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to start going back to the... You, the, the creator's manual for your life to find out who you are find yourself in the scriptures Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says that God made you alive with Christ he forgave all your sins he cancelled the record of charges against us took it away nailing it to the cross in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities so what it's saying is it's like the it's a scene of a court 
uh, court case. It says he disarmed the devil. He disarmed the enemy who comes and speaks against you. Against you, how did he disarm the enemy? The, the enemy had a weapon against your life. It was the record of charges against you. That was that is what the devil uses to condemn you. You did this. You're unworthy. You're, you're not a good person. You're not a, a child of God. God doesn't like... He, he got a record of charges against you. And he said, what did, what did Jesus do? It says, He forgave all your sins and He cancelled the record of charges. And He took it away, nailed it to the cross. So now when the enemy wants to accuse you, his weapon, which was the record of charges against you, he opens it up and cancel. It is empty. He has nothing to attack you. So don't put in the enemy's hands that which God has already removed from the enemy in your life. Amen? Aren't you glad that God did it all for us? That is the beauty of our Christian faith. Done. Finished. Jesus did it all. And you know, like I said, the first scripture, love your neighbor. As yourself, if we are entitled to that kind of a status, that level of forgiveness, then we need to be people who extend this forgiveness, this kind of status to others in our world, this kind of grace to others in our world. And finally, the third point. So you're valued. Everyone say, I'm valued. I am righteous. I'm perfect. I'm holy and blameless. And then the third point, you are designed you are destined the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 it says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them the word workmanship here is translated from the Greek word poema which is from where we get the English word poem or poetry so what he's saying is you're basically God's poetry in motion. How many of you have heard that song? Don't, you'll reveal your age. Okay. Because <laughs> your father, right, used to play it in the house all the time. Yeah, like my dad used to play the records as well, all these songs. So I grew up listening to everyone from Elvis Presley, Jim Reeves, Elvary Brothers. Yeah. So it says you are God's workmanship. And of course, the word is also translated to the English word masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are His. He, you are designed and desired by the master. You are a reflection of the master's skill. A masterpiece is a reflection of the master's skill, the master's heart. And there's no such thing as a bad masterpiece, an ugly masterpiece, a, a, a terrible masterpiece. Because the masterpiece is a reflection of the master. And your master is not bad. He's not ugly. He's not terrible. And he made you in his image. You are here by design. Everything in the world nowadays is trying to program us to believe that we are random, that we are a result of some accident, some chemicals, and you know, uh, one, one day one ape decided to stand up straight and walk, and then he became your great, 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 great grandfather. It's just random. You are here at random, you are an accident of nature. And that's what we teach as science. It doesn't matter that there's no evidence till today. It is still a theory, but we teach it as science because 
There is a world system that does not want to accept the reality of a creator. You were created by God. You are his masterpiece. You are here by design. David says it like this in Psalm chapter 139, verse 13 onwards. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. We need to be the people whose soul knows very well. He goes on to say, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. God only had your plan. You know, they, they normally prepare the blueprint and the drawing before they create something. It says, your eyes saw my substance even before it came about being. And it says, in your book, my days were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has already written your story out and he goes on how precious are your thoughts of me oh god how great is the sum of them if i could count them if i should count them they would be more than the number no number than the sand i mean if you believe that you cannot struggle with low self-esteem you can read this psalm and claim it for your own god formed your inward parts he covered you in your mother's womb you need to praise Him. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are the works of God. And my soul knows very well. Your frame was not hidden from God when He formed you. All your days before you, He already wrote it out. This is what my son is going to do. This is what my daughter is going to do. These are the days they're going to fulfill. It's not yet even come to pass. But He's already planned it all out for you. You are not an accident. You are here today because God placed you here in this time, in this season, because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Remember, it says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means your purpose. You were created for something. No matter how many times people may have told you, you're useless. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what you are, uh, you're here for. Let me tell you, God knows why you're here because you were created for good works that he prepared beforehand like what David says, before all these things came about, you already knew. God already prepared your purpose before He created you. That you prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. So your purpose was created first and then you were created to fulfill that purpose. In that same way, in the Garden of Eden, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the garden. He put everything there, then he created man. So he created man's purpose, which was to tend and keep the garden. He put everything that they would need there, then he placed man and woman in the garden. So you have a purpose. You have a destiny. You know, the only reason you're still alive today is because God is not true with you yet. God is not done with your life yet. Because if you've already fulfilled your purpose on the earth, there's no reason for Him to keep you here. He'll take you back to heaven to be with Him. But the reason you are still here is because He's not done with you yet. Some of you may feel like your life has no meaning or purpose. That's not true. Just because you're not doing anything that you deem as purposeful, it doesn't mean that you have no purpose. It's not done with you yet. You still have a destiny to fulfill. 
Maybe some of you have been looking for your purpose outside of God. But God wants you to know that your purpose will only be revealed in Him. I think it was the early church father, Augustine, who said, Lord, you created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You are valued. You are righteous. You have a purpose. You have a destiny to fulfill. And you know, going back to the scripture I started with, love others as you love yourself. Now you kind of need to look at others as value. People who have a position have a destiny. Amen. You know, today you can base your identity on many things. Some of us uh, have anchored our identity in who we are on social media, uh, the number of followers we have. Uh, but let me assure you, that can change overnight. What's popular today can become unpopular in an instant. It's so fragile, and if we anchor our identity on that, we will end up being disappointed. One of the worst things to base our identity or self-worth on is the opinions of others, because people that say they love you today can be tearing you down a few months down the road. And trust me, as pastors, we have first-hand experience of things like that. Some of us can base our identity on our position or our, our at work, or the title that we carry. Even that is temporary and can change. You can get fired, you can, you can retire, businesses can fold up. So that too is not something that we can build on. And if your identity is based on your achievements, achievements become history. Your trophies will start to collect dust. Uh, the guy on top of his game is barely remembered even today. You can't base it on experience. Experiences come and go. Money, you can have it. You can lose it. Uh, family name, reputation, even that can be lost. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having all these things, but they should not be the foundation of our identity. The only place we can anchor our identity in, the only space where you can get the truth of your true value and worth is in the eternal, unchanging Word of God that doesn't change with the opinions of men, with the seasons and the fashions that come and go. It is the truth. It will remain the truth yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that is our reality and our ultimate truth. So with that, I want to close in prayer. Uh, can I get you to stand with me and maybe the keyboard has to come back? Father, thank you for sons and daughters that are coming home even right now, in their hearts. And I do believe that this is a season of restoration for this church, for the people listening. It is a season of restoration. That which the enemy has stolen, you're going to see come back to you seven times. That which has been stolen, that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy, will be returned to you. This is your season of restoration. It's going to be a season of suddenly, suddenly you're going to see things change. Suddenly you're going to see the hand of God move. Suddenly things that you've been believing for for a long time, suddenly it's going to happen. God's going to do it. So Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, even as I release this word, Father, I thank you that it's falling on fertile ground. And I thank you for a shift in the atmosphere over homes and even in this church, over this congregation, over this leadership, 
a shift in the atmosphere lord is going to be a season of restoration a season of suddenlies oh lord father i thank you for blessings that is going to flow and lord we're going to look to you and say this is the lord's doing this is the lord's doing this is the lord's doing father we thank you we give you honor glory and praise in jesus name we pray amen amen